Amen. Thank you, Brother Rob. If your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 40, if you can put a marker in there, we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. We are studying the life of Joseph as we consider the subject of the heart of a champion. We live in a world that has contests and awards for just about every area of human endeavor. When we think of a champion, we think of someone that has beaten every other uh, you know, athlete on the field and, or every other team on the court, that type of thing. But in the Bible, a champion is someone who has overcome everything that the world has uh, thrown at them and their faith is still intact. They didn't lose their testimony in the course of battle or trials or troubles or heartache, but they stayed true and faithful. There's nobody that I can study in the word of God that demonstrates the heart of a champion more than this man named Joseph. We've had several messages and thus far we've been uh, taking stock of his life, what the Bible teaches and reveals about him. We know that there were a lot of people that looked at Joseph. We saw Potiphar, the Egyptian that bought him as a slave. We saw a jailer, also an Egyptian, that was tasked with keeping Joseph when he was framed for a crime he didn't commit. Then we saw Pharaoh, also an Egyptian, three men, all of them pagans, all of them who worshiped some three to 400 Egyptian gods, yet they looked at this young man, Joseph, and without, without any question at all as, as to uh, what, what they saw, they just could look at this guy and they, there was something different about him. And they asked, they said, there, there, there's a, an amazing touch on him. They all said the Lord was with him. They could see it. They knew that the Lord was with him. So we've been trying to find out what did they see? What was there about Joseph that these unsaved men looked at him and saw that the Lord was with him. We learned, first of all, that Joseph stayed holy in spite of his hurt. Joseph was hurt by just about everybody in his life up through the first 30 years of his life, and yet he did not use that hurt as his excuse to do wrong. He didn't let the, the wrongdoing of his brothers or even the neglect of his father when his father had a chance to stand up for him. He didn't let that become his excuse to develop a bad attitude. He didn't blame anything on anybody else. He stayed holy in spite of his hurt. We notice that he lost everything except for his faith. He lost his favored status in his, his home. He was daddy's favorite boy. He lost his family and he would lose touch with them for nearly 22 years. He lost his freedom, but he refused to let go of his faith and he held that fast. We noticed number three, that he kept his testimony no matter where he was. Joseph had no Bible. He had no church. He had no pastor. Once he was sold by his brothers into slavery and he was down in Egypt, he had no family watching over him. There was nobody expecting him to do what was right except for his God. And Joseph kept his testimony right no matter where he was, no matter who he was around. And finally, we learned that Joseph was a blessing to everyone that he came in contact with. And when you consider the first 30 years of his life, there were very few people that were a blessing to him. Joseph did not believe an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and you fight fire with fire. Um, Joseph blessed the lives of everybody 
that he came in contact with. And by the way, none of them deserved it. None of them deserved for Joseph to be nice to them, to be good to them, to bring God's blessing. But his very presence did exactly that. Tonight, I want you to go with me through scripture and I want you to see another very important aspect of Joseph's life that plays a much bigger role in why God used him, why others looked at him and saw that the Lord was with him than I think that we, that we usually give it credit for. And here's what it is. In Joseph's life, he always directed all of the glory for everything to God. Always. You will never, in Genesis 37 through 50, see Joseph taking credit for anything. He always points all of the credit and, and exalts God. And the very first thing he does, he just points people to God. We read in Genesis 40, Joseph's in prison. He's, he shouldn't be there, uh, but he is. We noticed at the end of chapter uh, 39, uh, the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. While he was there, we read with brother Carson Two of Pharaoh's officers were cast into that same prison, the chief butler and the chief baker. Uh, we don't know what they did, but they angered Pharaoh, and so they were thrown in prison with him, and Joseph's job was pretty much to look after anybody else there, and, and so forth. And one day, Joseph noticed these two men, that they, they looked very troubled, more than normal, more than someone in prison would look. They were very, very sad, and so he asked them, what's going on? They said, we've had these dreams. It, it sounds like they verged on nightmares, and they said, we woke up this morning and we, we don't know what they're all about. We can't shake them. We just, there, there was just something about these dreams and nobody can tell us what they mean. Notice again in verse seven. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house saying, wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, we've dreamed a dream. There's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to whom? to God, tell me them, I pray you. Joseph didn't presume to say, oh, tell me your dreams. I, I, I'll figure it out for you. I'll tell you the answer. Joseph didn't do that at all. He automatically took these two Egyptian officers. Remember, they're pagans too. They, they don't know the one true God. And he points them to his God. He said, I want you to know something. The interpretation of dreams belongs to my God. That's why it's capital G. It's not a little G like the Egyptians God. Do not interpretations belong to God. He does not say, I've got the answer. I'm, boy, you're just so lucky to be in my presence right now. He just pointing them automatically. We need to look to God. God has an answer for you. J, uh, Joseph had a habit. He had a lifestyle. He had a heart that automatically pointed people and gave the glory to God. Follow with me in the Bible a few verses, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. We have a one verse commandment that pretty much says everything we need to know. Whether therefore, verse 31, 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, 
do all to the glory of God. Whatever it is that you and I do, we are to do all of it to the glory of God. Do you realize if we were to make verse 31 our life's verse and our theme, it would change everything about us? Would you consider for a moment the conversations that you've had in just say the last 24 hours? Did your conversations give glory to God? Did they exalt God? Did they, did they, did they uh, brag on his goodness and his power and his mercy and his love and his grace? Did your conversations give glory to God? Just, just go back the last 24 hours. Or did your conversations tear somebody else down? Or did your conversations complain about your lot in life? Or were your conversations uh, uh, bordering on the, the vulgar or the crude or the dishonest? Whatsoever therefore, you, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Was God glorified by the way you treated people in the last 24 hours? Was God glorified in how you used your time within the last day? The Bible says, whatever it is that we do, we're supposed to do it in a manner that God is glorified through that. Can you imagine if we lived our lives with that as our motto, how different we would live and what people would see about our God through us? Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. I love verse number 20. I quoted an awful lot. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. What an amazing prayer promise to grab a hold of. But verse 20, 21 is a continuation of that verse. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Did you know that the work of the ministry and the life of the church is not about you and I, it's about him? And he's the one that is supposed to be glorified in his church. That does not mean that we, we do not give honor where honor is due and, and so forth. The Bible says we certainly do that but not a one of us in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be living to be glorified. Ought to be sitting back saying, well, you, you need to pat me on the back and you need to give me my attaboy or I'm gonna take my baseball and I'm gonna go home. It's unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. It's all about giving glory to God. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter five. Revelation chapter five. Verse number 11, this is a scene that will be played out in heaven someday. We will be eyewitnesses to that. But John got to see it and he got to write it down. In verse number 11, he says that I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. We're talking hundreds of millions of beings saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. The glory belongs to God. In heaven, that's where it'll, it, it'll be directed. Uh, we'll be singing the praises of the lamb forever and ever. Now listen very carefully. We are told whether therefore we eat or drink whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. In heaven, we know that that is the song worthy is the lamb. But please understand this. This doesn't come natural to human beings. This, this attribute, this attitude of giving all the praise and the glory to God and actually shunning any coming back in our direction, that is not natural to us. Turn to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. The wise King Solomon summed up the human condition on this subject very sadly and succinctly in verse number six, Proverbs 26. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. That is natural. Um, a child learns this early on. Hey, look at me. Usually those are famous last words. They're about to do something stupid, you know, and get, get hurt really bad. But there's this idea, I'm doing something. I'm doing something that I think is great or funny or important. Hey, look at me. Solomon said that is, that's man's nature. So this, this idea of automatically giving the glory to God for everything, it doesn't come natural to us, but I want you to understand it was in Joseph's very character. Turn to Judges chapter eight. We were in here for Sunday school this morning. I was interested when we got to this portion of our Sunday school lesson, how brother Tim was gonna handle this. We've been studying the life of Gideon in the book of Judges as we walk through this uh, interesting book of the Bible. Gideon was a, a, a unique individual. He was a man who... Uh, who needed a lot of reassurance from God that, that uh, what he was doing was the will of God. And so God graciously showed Gideon over and over again and, and, and uh, reinforced his faith. Remember the, uh, Lord, if this is really what you want me to do, make it be dry on this fleece and wet everywhere else with the dew. And the next morning he'd get up and uh, the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. And the next day he said, Lord, just one more time, uh, you know, do it in reverse. And he rang, wrung out an entire bowl full of water. And God was very gracious to Gideon. And God used Gideon in a great way. He started with an army of 32,000. God whittled it down to 300 men. God said, your army's too big because if you go out and win the battle, you might be tempted to think that you won it in your own strength. And you need to realize it was me. So Gideon went out against an army of 135,000 Midianite soldiers. Um, he divided his 300 men into three groups uh, surrounding this valley up in the hills uh, about midnight. Each of his men had a trumpet, a ram's horn trumpet. They had a, a clay pitcher inside of which was, was a, a lamp uh, and so forth. And so on a 
uh, on a given signal, they broke the pitcher so there would be this crashing sound up in the hills. The lights uh, from the, the candles would be displayed. They would blow with their trumpets and start shouting, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And all of that noise is reverberating through those hills back and forth. And, and down in the, on the field below, the Midianites and the Ishmaelites were sound asleep and so forth. And they woke up and they heard all of this noise. And the Bible says they turned every man his sword once against another. Gideon and his men are just up in the hillside, you know, blowing trumpets and yelling. And the Midianites are down on the, in the valley slaughtering each other. 30, 30 hours later, thereabouts, the battle's over. Gideon has destroyed all of them. All 135,000 are dead. Their two kings are put to death. And look again, if you would, Judges chapter 8. The battle is all over, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy sons also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. They'd been in this period of the judges for already a couple hundred years. As long as a judge was alive, they did right. They served God. But the minute the judge died, they fell into sin and idolatry. They would come into a, uh, slavery by some foreign power and they'd start crying out to God and God raise up another judge who would deliver them. They would be free for 10 or 20 or 30 years until the judge died and then they're back into sin. Over and over, they played out that cycle. The men, the men of Israel realized that Gideon had fought their battles for them. God had used him and they said, why don't you be our king? And then your son after you and your grandsons after that. And we don't have to keep going through the cycle anymore. And Gideon humbly and wisely answered in verse 23, Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. And here it is. The Lord shall rule over you. You realize if, if you let the Lord rule over you, you don't need anything else. If you'll just obey God, you don't need a whole lot of rules in your life. You'll just do what is right. And so Gideon said, no, I, my, my job is not to be a king uh, over you. You've got the Lord for that. And that is an amazing answer. But then Gideon turned around and did something that almost makes no sense. Verse 24, Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you that ye would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Brother Tim pointed out to us that uh, many cultures of the world have certain attributes about their appearance that mark them and you can tell who they are. The Ishmaelites in that day and age uh, were noticeable because the men wore golden earrings in their ears. We don't know how big they were, but that was how you, they stood out um, in, in a crowd of different people. And so he said, I want you to do, he said, we, we've killed 135,000 Ishmaelites. That's about 270,000 golden earrings. He said, just give me the gold from the earrings. They answered, we will willingly give them. They spread a garment, did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. The weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. 1,700 shekels of gold in today's measurement, English measurement, is somewhere between 43 and 48 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. By today's valuation, what an ounce of gold is, that's $1.3 million dollars 
from the earrings of these dead Midianite soldiers. So they give that to Gideon. That's his reward, if you will. That's his payday. Nothing wrong with that at all. Verse 27, though, here's the weird part of the story. And Gideon made an ephod thereof. An ephod was sort of an outer garment that men would wear, especially kings, people in the priesthood. Uh, they, would, they would wear them. Uh, oftentimes they were done up very elaborately. And Gideon took this gold, 43 pounds of gold, and he made a golden robe out of it. We don't know if it was like solid gold or if it was fabric that had all of this gold spun into wire and, and woven into it. But uh, this thing had to have been really heavy. It was at least 43 pounds. It might have been one of those bigger than life things or it might have been something, you know, that this is my bathrobe, you know, type thing made out of gold. And notice that he put it in his city, even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon to end to his house. You say, why are you reminding us of this story of Gideon? We learned about it in our class here this morning. It's because of this matter of giving the glory to God. When they tried to make him a king, Gideon said, no, the Lord shall reign over you. I'll never be your king, neither my son, my son's son. Uh, that's not to be, you've got God and that's all you need. And that's a phenomenal answer. That is the right answer. But out of the very next action of his life, he is taking the, the, the attention and the focus away from God and he's putting it on him. This golden ephod that he made, Gideon made himself a trophy made himself a trophy. Here's a thought. How many remember when David killed Goliath? How many remember that? How did he kill him? No, the stone didn't kill him. He cut off his head. What did David use to cut off Goliath's head? Goliath's sword. What happened to Goliath's sword? Anybody know? Yeah, he took it to the tabernacle and had it laid up before the Lord. If, if you would please, he brought Goliath's sword into the house of God and it was laid up there in honor of the Lord. When Gideon made his trophy, he didn't march it down to Shiloh where the tabernacle was set up and have it placed in the treasury of the Lord or placed there in honor of the Lord. He had it put in his own house. He was giving guided tours of his golden, golden ephod in his own house. Um, and you say, you're, you're uh, bringing him down. No, the Bible says what he did was a snare. The Bible says what he did caused sin in the nation of Israel. See, Gideon with lip service said to God be the glory, great things he had done but I want a little bit of that myself too. Come by, see my golden image. That gold all came from the Ishmaelite soldiers, 135,000 of them. And with 300 men, buddy, we wiped them out and here's the gold to prove it. And he's trying to share the glory with God. Did you know God doesn't do that? Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. 
In Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number eight. I am the Lord. Can anybody tell me who's speaking? Yeah, God is speaking. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God said, I'm the Lord. I'm the only one. And my glory belongs to me. And my glory, I'm not sharing with anybody else. Gideon made the mistake of giving glory to God out of one side of his mouth, but then making sure there was a certain amount of glory coming back to him from the other side. And it became a snare to him and to his house and it actually began leading the people of Israel back into a different form of idolatry from which God had just delivered them. Going back to Joseph now, Joseph did not have that heart, Genesis chapter 40. Joseph had a heart that, that, that directed all the glory and the praise and the honor to God, and he kept it there. Joseph credited God as his reason to stay pure and right. If you'll flip back to 30, Genesis 39, this is where Potiphar's wife is coming, trying to get him to sin. Verse seven came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused, said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not. That means he's not aware uh, of what is with me in the house and hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, but thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do you realize that Joseph could have sinned with Potiphar's wife and his dad would have never known? His mother would have never known. His family would never have known. It is possible that Potiphar might never have known. He could have gotten away with it, but that wouldn't have given glory to God. Joseph didn't live that way. Joseph said to the, the temptress that was trying to entice him into wrongdoing, how can I do this great sin and sin against God? My God's worth more than that. My God deserves more out of me than to defile myself in that way. If you and I had such a heart that we were to glorify God with everything we do, whether it's eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do you realize the things we would no longer do? because it would not glorify God. Joseph credited God not only as his reason to stay pure, he credited God as the one with all the answers. Chapter 40, we read in verse seven, these, these men look so sadly in verse eight, Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong unto God. God's got your answer. It's not me. It's not because I'm smarter than anybody else in the room. God has all the answers. Chapter 41. Now Pharaoh has dreams. Years have gone by. Two years 
since that moment in the prison with those two men. Pharaoh has those dreams, and we're not going to take the time tonight to walk through both of them, but they were true nightmares of him. And it was the same truth given in two different dreams. Seven fat cows came out of the river, then seven skinny, emaciated cows came out and devoured the first seven fat ones, and they were still emaciated. There were seven wonderful ears of corn that came up on a stalk and seven blasted ears of corn came after them and devoured the first. And uh, they, they, were still, they, were, they were still terrible to look at. And Pharaoh woke up, he called his magicians in. He, he said, I've had these dreams. He tried to explain it to him and his magician said, your majesty, we have, we have no idea what this means. We have no idea what's going on. And standing off in the corner was the, the, uh, the chief butler and he said, your majesty, he said, I, I remember a couple of years ago being in prison and, and I was there with a baker and, and we each had dreams and there was a Hebrew there, a Hebrew servant. And, and we told him the dreams and he gave us the answers to those dreams. So they bring uh, Joseph out. Uh, look, if you would, please, verse number 19. Then Pharaoh sent Genesis 41, uh, I'm sorry, verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They brought him hastily out of the, the dungeon and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. There's none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, you heard right. You called on the right guy. This is your lucky day. You're, you ought to be glad I'm here. Right? That is not at all what Joseph said. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, Joseph had a history of interpreting dreams and whatever interpretation God revealed to him came to pass. It'd been real easy for Joseph to brag a little bit on his past experience, how God had used him in the past. He just said, not, it has nothing to do with me. It's not because I'm smarter than anybody else. It's not because I'm better than anybody else. He said, there's a God in heaven and God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He goes on down and, and, and Pharaoh tells him uh, about the dreams uh, and so forth. And look at verse number 25. Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32. And for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Joseph was this young man. He's in a position right now that if he wanted to, he could take all the credit for this. The, the Egyptians were so superstitious Joseph had been around them long enough, even in the position of a slave and as a prisoner to know how they thought, to know how they acted on things. He's in a position now, if he wanted to, he could selfishly milk this for all he wants, but he never one time said, this is what I'm doing for you. This is what I know. It just keeps going back to God. God, God has your answer. It's not in me. God is about to show you what he is going to do. God doubled the dream so you'd understand that this thing is most certain and it's going to come to pass. And he credited God as the one with all the answers. And right along with that, Joseph credited God always 
is the one who works all things together for good. We read his, his answer to Pharaoh, God's shown you what's com coming to pass so you can deal with that, so you can be ready when it comes. Turn to chapter 45, Genesis 45. This is the day Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He's 39 years old. They sold him when he was 17. It's been 22 years. They thought he was dead. They had no idea when they came to Egypt to buy food that they were buying it from their younger brother. He looked like an Egyptian. He talked like one. He talked to them through an interpreter. He talked to them rather, rather harshly. He didn't want to reveal himself just yet to those brothers. They were, they were clueless that that was their younger brother, Joseph, that he understood every word that they spoke. But it's time that they know. Verse, 40, verse 1 of chapter 45, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. Glass had not been invented yet. Windows would oftentimes, especially in Egypt where blowing sand was an issue, Windows would be covered with, with animal hides or, or, or finely woven fabrics and things like that, or they would shutter them. And so what, what happened in one person's house was easily heard by someone else. Joseph was second in command in all the nation of Egypt. His palace, his house was right next door to Pharaoh's. So Joseph is revealing himself and he begins to weep before he talks to his brothers. He's crying aloud. It is, a, it, is a, it is a massive sound. And all of the house of Pharaoh heard that. The sound is carrying next door. Somebody's crying aloud. Something is going on. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father, uh, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence, and naturally so. They had done him wrong for the first 17 years of his life. In the next 22 years, much of that had been a nightmare because of them. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. These are the ones that hurt him, wronged him. We push those people away or trample them underfoot. Joseph says, come near, draw close, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. How unlike human nature is that? When somebody hurts us, we want them to be grieved, don't we? In fact, we insist on it. And if they aren't, we'll go out of our way to make sure they are. Joseph doesn't want that at all. Not even a little bit. He says, now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither for God did send me before you to preserve life. They didn't know anything about the dreams. They didn't know anything about what God was doing. They had no idea that there were still five more years of famine left. They were unaware of any of the things that had happened in Joseph's life and his, his opportunity to get revenge, his opportunity to rub it in their faces. He completely, 
He completely disregards that and said, I don't want you to be upset with yourselves. I don't even want you to be sad about this. I want you to understand in all of this, God had a plan. God sent me here so I could save your lives or actually so that God could save lives. For these two years hath the famine been in the land and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Turn to Genesis chapter 50. This is years after that first conversation. Their father Jacob is dead and we've reviewed this a couple times. His brother's are afraid Joseph was just waiting till their dad died and then he would get revenge. And so they came to him and if you look, please. Um, oh, verse number 16. After his father died, they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, thy father did command before he died saying, so shall ye say unto Joseph, forgive I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. They could not stop feeling bad. This is years and years and years after he's already forgiven them. After he's already revealed the plan of God to them. He's treated them well. He's given them high-ranking jobs uh, in, in Pharaoh's household, and they're making good money. He's provided for all of them, and they can't shake how bad they feel. And they're still worried about him, and they're still asking forgiveness. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. The average person would be rubbing their hands together. Good. I'm glad you feel like dirt. You should. Joseph was made of better stuff than that. Joseph didn't live like that. Joseph wept. He, it, it broke his heart that they still felt that way. His brethren also went and fell down before his face and said, behold, we be thy servants. We're at your mercy. We're at your mercy and we, whatever you want to do, but please be mercy of us. Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So he's got this second opportunity to get vengeance. We'd have jumped at it because that's what we live for sometimes. Joseph didn't have a fiber, a drop of that in his entire being. He didn't want vengeance. He wanted to show mercy and compassion. And in dealing with the ones who hurt him the most, he found a way to help them see all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. If you look through Joseph's life, you'll see that in every circumstance, when there was an opportunity for him to get some glory, he shunned it. Not in a phony kind of way like Gideon did. 
but it was real. No, only God deserves this. It's not in me. There's a God in heaven. Oh, I, I know what you meant. I just want you to know what God meant. Do you realize when we have a desire that we want God to be glorified, nothing else matters. Whether we get credit or not doesn't matter. When, whether someone else doesn't get credit doesn't matter. Whether someone else gets their just desserts doesn't matter because we're not living for that. We're living that God should be glorified. Now, many of us will say, well, obviously to God be the glory, great things he hath done. But I wonder if we really believe that like Joseph did. Turn to the book of James chapter three and then we'll be finished. James chapter three. James chapter three. This is more than a testimony service where Joseph is saying, praise the Lord for and gives an example of something God has done. This is Joseph's life. This is Joseph's life. In every situation with every person, he shunned to take any credit. He shunned to take any praise. He always pointed everybody and gave all the glory to God. James chapter three, the Bible's talking here again about the matter of the tongue. Verse five, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and the things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now notice verse nine, therewith, with our tongue, bless we God, even the Father. Isn't God good? Praise the Lord. I am so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. I'm so glad I'm saved. Boy, God answered a prayer for me. God is such a good God. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father. And therewith, next three words, church, curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. So the same mouth, oh, isn't God good? Isn't that person trash? Same mouth, praising God out of one side, cursing someone else out of the other. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. Read the last part of verse 10 with me. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Did Joseph have reason to curse his brothers, yes or no? I want you to find in Genesis 37 through 50 where he ever did it. Anybody here have, any, have somebody sell you into slavery? Anybody? Okay. Joseph's brothers did one of the worst things imaginable to him. And he never said a negative word about them to anyone. Do you realize if that had been part of his life? Oh, you, ought to, you should have met my brothers. My brothers were this and my brothers were that. And when I was growing up, this is what was going on. And my brothers told me if that was Joseph. And then he said, oh, but let me tell you about God. Ain't God good. Do you realize it wouldn't have meant anything? It would have meant that Joseph was no different than anybody else around him. But Joseph wasn't like that. 
Yes, his brothers did wrong and God ran his brothers through the ringer. There's no doubt about it. But Joseph just said, that's not how I'm living my life. I am not going to bless God out of one side of my mouth and curse my brothers out of the other side. That doesn't bring glory to God. When Potiphar saw Joseph, he knew he'd been sold by somebody into slavery. He didn't, he didn't hear Joseph cursing his brothers. He apparently just heard Joseph talking about his God and how good his God was. And Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. The jailer saw the same thing. Um, uh, Pharaoh saw the same thing. And again, I challenge you, I double dog dare you, read Genesis 37 to 50, 50 find one place where he badmouthed his brothers to anybody. He did not do it. His praise to God was pure. It was undefiled and untainted by our human tendency to think it's okay to praise God out of one side and badmouth somebody else out of the other. Joseph didn't do that. The credit to everything went to God. I stay pure because God is good. I don't have the answers, but God sure does. God, God took everything bad that happened in my life and God turned it around for an amazing good. And the interesting thing about Joseph's statement of that, do you know who benefited from the good that God worked in Joseph's life? Tell me. The people that hurt him. And Joseph was okay with that. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of growing in grace to, to do to get to where Joseph was. But that's what a heart of a champion was. And our world needs to see that. The world needs to see people that are reflecting the goodness and the grace of God. They don't need to hear all the other junk. They can get that every time they turn on CNN or any other news network. It, it, it's all out there. You and I need to be different than that. Can we stop there and pray together? Father, thank you for the life.